Amen. So last week uh, we began uh, a series that we're calling The Big Adventure, How Not to Miss the Most Important Moments of Your Life. And what it is, is it's a look at uh, the uh, texts in the, in the Gospels that particularly relate to how Jesus related to his disciples. So there's any number of stories in there. Today we're going to look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Um, but what was in that story for the disciples? What was in that uh, moment for them? What was Jesus doing in the lives of the disciples uh, to prepare them for what, uh, what he had for them? Ultimately, every one of them, uh, except for Judas, of course, leaders in the church, uh, people who had a tremendous impact for all their lives, who all lived incredibly radical Jesus following lives and, and most of them unto death most of them unto the point where uh, they were uh, beheaded or crucified upside down or burned at the stake uh, for their radical commitment to Jesus so how in his time on earth did he prepare them for that how did he meet them in those spaces uh, on their journey together and, and train them and teach them uh, how does he help them find uh, that big adventure uh, for us most of us as Christians um, if you're here and you are a Christian, not, not everybody here is, but if you're a Christian, there, there, there can be a way in which you can get bored of church and bored of, of your faith. Anybody felt that before? Anybody feeling that right now? Don't say that. Don't raise your hand. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, you can be really, really, really bored of your faith, bored of kind of this sort of consumeristic attitude. I went to church, and, you know, the worship wasn't that great. Uh, you know, the, the pastor who was leading worship there, you know, his shirt wasn't tucked in right. I got to check that. Uh, you know, it was distracting. He didn't get the notes right. He did the wrong verse, the wrong place. It was, you know, it was just kind of, eh, just kind of, eh. You know, and, and we sort of begin to look at Christianity as how we plug into the program. How do we plug into the Sunday morning program? How do we plug into, uh, into faith? How do we plug that into our life? What is the little slot? Where's the Jesus USB slot in my life? And hopefully Apple has designed it so it doesn't take up too much real estate on the, on, on the hardware of my life, right? Like we, we don't want this whole Christianity thing to, to be such a big identifier, such a big thing that it radically changes us, but of course we really do. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Because this language of being a Christian or being a, uh, a believer is kind of at this point, it's kind of like white noise, isn't it? It's kind of just this sort of background elevator music. What does that mean? A uh, person believes in higher power Christian. A uh, person believes, you know what I mean? It's just, what, what does that really mean for somebody to be a Christian? And of course, the language that you hear in all the hip theology texts now is not to refer to people as Christians, is to refer to them as Christ followers or followers of Jesus. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to follow Jesus? So I'm going to tell you a story, and you're not going to understand how it relates for a moment, but I'm going to tell you uh, this little story. One of the things about my kids, and it's so mean, and I'm always telling a story of my kids, but at this stage of life, they're going to have to deal with it. Uh, one of the things that drives me nuts, and, and this is actually something that they would do all the time when we go to home church at the halls. Every time we're at the halls or somebody else's house or somebody else's place, great, awesome, they're having a fantastic time. But when it's time to leave, when it's time to exit the scene, you know, I always call down the stairs, Jack and Toby, time to go, and they all come running up the stairs. They usually have some excuses to make it slightly slower, just to be passive-aggressively thirsty and need a drink of water or something like that, which is all great. And so they come, they grab a drink of water, and then they're coming in to get their shoes on, and, and all of a sudden they realize, as though this has never happened before, even though it's happened every single time, that neither of them is wearing their socks. And so they have to go back 
down into the house and search at one door or the other door or the other door and find their socks. And their socks are always like that, lying on the carpet somewhere, Jack and Toby's socks. That's what it's like. And that's not actually their socks, that's just off of Google. But, uh, but that's, that's what it's like. And, and I'm like, oh, why did they do that? And, and it was just this, there was just this one time, uh, you know, I think it was in the last home church session, um, you know, in the spring, and it was just really irking me. Like, you should not get upset about socks as a parent. Bad parent moment. I was getting really cranky about socks. And I was just upset about socks. And I, and I came in, I come into the house, and I'm still, like, cranky. Was, Why do these kids do this all the time? And I sit down, we get the kids put to bed, and I get my stuff put away. And, and the kids are finally tucked in and tucked down for a nap. And I sit down with Anna, that quiet moment where you just, we just watch maybe 15, 20 minutes of TV before bed, and we're out like lights. And as we're, we're done, we turn off the, uh, the, the show, and I start to march uh, upstairs to, to our room. Anna's like, why don't you take your socks with you? Why don't you take your socks with you? And it's just like the Lord just landed on me in that moment like a ton of bricks. These kids do exactly what they observe. They do exactly what they observe. They follow me. They've seen me a hundred times. Sunday afternoon comes. uh, We have lunch. I get on the couch, put my socks right there lying at the end of the couch. Sunday afternoon. And, and if, it's a, if, it's, if, I, if I think for sure nobody's coming by, my pants will be there too, just so you know. If you want to drop in Sunday afternoon, go ahead. We're totally good with the drop-in. We love it when people come by. Just don't expect me to be wearing pants. I mean, that's just, the, that's just how it goes. And the kids do that too. They come in the house and they just strip. Their clothes just go everywhere. Thankfully, they don't lose their pants when they're at company's house or at home church. But, but they do. They, they, they take up. So they, they just follow me. They just follow and do what I do. Right. Note to self. Exactly, right? Well, that's what following Jesus is like. Following Jesus is just seeing what he does and, and, and doing what you see. And doing what you see. Christianity isn't being or knowing, it's following. Following Jesus implies a response to stimulus that produces movement, progress, and altered behavior. Following Jesus produces a a change in you. It it alters your behavior. It's not just about adding more knowledge to you or more understanding to you or, or any of that, although that is wonderful. It is wonderful to know the heart of God. But to know that changes us. So so here's a question for us. Are are you being changed? Are you growing? Are you being transformed? Is your life changing? Have you been in church serving and, and doing wonderful work and doing the same thing you've always done, but, but not being challenged? And if you're not being challenged to uh, continually grow and to continually be transformed, then, then you have to look at the question, where, where are your eyes? Are they, are they actually on Jesus? Are you really seeing Jesus? Are you really seeing him? Are you really following him? We're going to look today at the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Like, talk about a great adventure. Like, how amazing for the disciples to be part of that experience, to be part of that adventure. I think we all want to be having those kinds of adventures in our lives, in the middle of miracles, in the middle of the multiplication of resources, in the middle of God taking something little and making something huge, but, but how do we really understand this story from the perspective of how Jesus actually taught the disciples? What, were, what was for the disciples in that story? 
And, uh, and to understand that, you have to see that the story started with a stripper and a head on a plate. The story of the feeding of the 5,000 started with a stripper and uh, a head on a plate. It's the story of the um, beheading of John the Baptist. Uh, we often look at the scriptures and we see these headings at the beginning of chapters or our Bible's broken up with these sort of bold, italicized uh, little bits of writing and they break up the story and help us, not, help us to miss how things are connected. And when we miss how things are connected, we really miss how one thing, the thing that came before, informs the thing that follows. So what had happened uh, was uh, John the Baptist... Uh, this wonderful, wonderful person who was going out and preparing the way for Jesus and teaching. John the Baptist was out there and he was calling uh, the rulers on their stuff. He was, he was calling in particular uh, Herod on Herodias, uh, his uh, brother Philip's wife. Herod had taken her into his, uh, his court, taken her into relationship and taken her daughter. He was basically messing around with his brother's wife. And, and doing this in public, doing this in front of the whole culture, in front of the whole society. And John the Baptist, being the prophet that he was, was calling it. And so John had called it one time too many. Herod got mad, locked him in jail, put him in the dungeon. And one day, when Herod was hanging out with his buddies, and they were all uh, drinking and, and carousing and all of that, uh, Herodias knew that her daughter would be asked to dance. And so go ahead and dance. And from what we understand contextually in terms of the way people lived in that time and in that space, she would probably have actually been, been stripping. She would be a stripper. She'd be dancing in front of Herod. And so her, her mom knows, okay, when Herod is drunk and when, he's, uh, when you're stripping for him, he's going to get really excited. He's going to be happy. He's going to offer to give you stuff. And what you want to ask for when he offers to give you stuff is you, I want you to ask for John the Baptist's head on a plate. And so she says, okay, mom, they plan it, let's do it. And, uh, and, and it happens. So she's dancing. Uh, Herod says, I give you anything up to half my kingdom. And, and, and she says, I would like John the Baptist's head on the plate. He sends some guys down to the dungeon. And they cut off John the Baptist's head and bring it up. And then it says this. It says this in our text that we're looking, um, uh, looking at here uh, just, uh, just before uh, this little piece where we're going to read in uh, Matthew 14, verse 13. It says this. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. And now our text begins. When Jesus had heard what happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it was already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up at heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. And I love how they just, he just says this offhand. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children, so somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 plus people were fed. So when Jesus heard what had happened is how the story starts. 
This was undoubtedly one of the darkest days in Jesus' ministry other than his crucifixion. This is his cousin John. His cousin John who he loves, who he saw all growing up, who he ministered together, who, who, the man who baptized him, the man who he walked with, whose disciples interacted with one another. Uh, and and, and the, the disciples of John come to Jesus and say, uh, John has just been beheaded. He, he, he's been killed. Uh, we've picked up his body. We, we have the body. Uh, not the head, but we're going to bury the body. And we just wanted you, Jesus, to know. And you can imagine, I mean, when you put yourself in these situations, imagine you hearing that news, would you not be filled with grief? And we know that Jesus was a person who could be filled with grief. He is not a robot. He's not a supercomputer in the sky. He's not dispassionate. He was a passionate, loving Savior who, who felt all of these things. So this was a dark moment in Jesus' life. And, and it says, in that dark moment, he withdrew away to a solitary place. This hurts me. This hurts my heart. I'm full of pain. I need to go. I need to go away to a quiet place and to be alone with God. I need to grieve. I need to feel that. I need to wrestle with it. And so the first thing I want to say about following Jesus, about seeking the great adventure, sometimes the very start of the, advent, of the adventure uh, begins with withdrawal. Sometimes the very start of the adventure begins with stepping back. It begins with finding a quiet place uh, to be with God, to sometimes deal with your stuff. Uh, for me, I'm getting less and less apologetic about that. Uh, I, I used to, like when people would ask me what I'm doing, you know, I, you know, in my insecurity, especially as a young pastor, I want everybody to know how hard I was working all the time. I want everybody to know how, how hard I'm working, and I do. I, I, I work really hard, but now if people ask me where you were early in the morning, I'm not ashamed to tell you sometimes I'm fishing. Sometimes I'm out in the boat fishing. Sometimes I'm out for walk. Sometimes I'm, I'm out hunting partridge or something like that. Sometimes I'm not working. Sometimes I withdraw in order to be a person who serves God uh, fully and, and serves God with all your heart. You need those times and spaces to be alone, to withdraw, to pull away, to do uh, the things that God has called you to do in terms of your ministry and relationship to him. Now there's a difference between withdraw to be with Jesus and escape. There's a difference between withdraw to be with Jesus and with, I don't, at least maybe everybody is different. You know, everybody is wired a little bit different, but I'm thinking to myself that watching all 207 episodes of The Big Bang Theory on Netflix might not qualify as withdrawing. Right? We live such frenzied and frantic lives and and to be honest I, I watch TV there's there's a way in which that kind of entertainment is completely legitimate I'm not judging anybody for doing that what that does for us that kind of entertainment is it allows us to shut off all of the other stimulus and all of the other things that are going on our brain that make us stressed right it allows us to shut off uh, worry about work it allows us to shut off concern about our family it allows us to shut off uh, all kinds of things it, it's one overwhelming massive stimulus that we enter into that we engage with that turns off all of those processes and you know as well as I do when you sit down in front of the TV and feel all those things in your brain shutting off that's not a bad feeling right that's okay I, I, I'm not I'm not judging that but 
That is not a complete picture about with what withdraw and rest is about, is it? There's a being with Jesus that, that's, that's much, much more important. And I'll, and I'll go so far as to say that uh, oftentimes the things that we do, uh, that we think are withdrawing, that we think in our, in our desperation and in our pain, that we do to just shut off all of those stimuluses and responses and, and make ourselves in our desperation have a place of escape. Not, some of those things are much less healthy than the Big Bang Theory. Right? When I talk with guys about, about pornography, I'm not often hearing about a problem with lust. I'm often hearing about a guy who needs to escape. A guy who, who, who has to escape, and that's what he's chosen as his, as his place of escape. It, it's not often about lust. It's often about escape. It's about being a person without margin. And so what we try to do is we try to teach people to find the right way to withdraw, the right way to pull us apart, the right way to pull off to the side and to be with Jesus in a way that is healthy, in a way that is mature. That's what I was getting at in the spring when I was talking about margin for mission. We have our lives filled with so many things. I mean, we're desperate to see our kids in every single program that's operating. We have them in soccer and hockey and math club and, and this and this and this and this. We have them programmed every hour of every day, uh, stacked and racked. And, uh, and, and then we, we really want them to be very mature and to know how to rest and find healthy ways of rest. We, we prime our kids sometimes by giving them absolutely no unstructured time in life. We prime them for addictions in some ways because we don't give them space to, to learn how to decompress in a healthy and in a God way. And there's a mission that we're called to as people uh, that we often can't get to. Like, we can't get to do the things in church we want to do. We can't make it to a home church. We can't make it to a, another thing that we might want to volunteer for because we've got all of these things going on in our lives. And, and sometimes withdraw doesn't mean just withdraw to a solitary place. Sometimes it just means withdraw from some of this stuff we're doing. Uh, to, to be with God. And, and to be honest, church is the easiest thing in the world to withdraw from because it's a grace-based atmosphere, right? We're not going to judge you if you pull out of a program or if you pull out of something you're volunteering for. Uh, we're not going to judge you for that, but that might be the very relational set, the community set that you need to find a place of healing. Withdraw from the Big Bang Theory before you withdraw from church. Right? Just withdraw from the addictions before you withdraw from the thing that you're doing with Jesus or you miss the greatest adventure of your life. And so hearing of this, you know, sort of a long explanation of just one little passage. Um, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. So remember, Jesus is full of grief. He's withdrawing. He's getting away. The crowds heard that he was going away, so they followed him on foot. And when the, Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. And this is the second thing I want to talk about in terms of uh, being someone who is a Jesus follower. Sometimes you have to let your compassion override your boundaries. 
Sometimes you let your compassion override your boundaries. Now imagine what the disciples were seeing. They were intermingled with John's uh, disciples. They knew John as well as Jesus did. They, they loved him. I mean, they're disciples. They were with Jesus everywhere he was. They were with him uh, in all his interactions with John. They knew about this famous person. They'd probably heard about him. They'd maybe followed him first. They, they knew who John was. And, uh, and they're filled with grief, and they're filled with pain, and they're trying to get away with Jesus. They're trying to get away. And Jesus... Uh, in, in, in the middle of his grief and in the middle of his pain uh, holds a revival meeting that lasts for about a day. <laughs> Come on, Jesus! Like, what are you doing, man? We're so tired. Why another meeting? Like, Give me a break. Send these people away. I don't have time for this. Jesus, we just need to rest. Jesus, I just want to watch Star Wars in the afternoon. I want to watch all three of the first movie, no, second set of movies. I want to watch four through six. I want to watch them all at once. I don't want anybody to bother me. And I just want to rest. I just want to rest. Jesus, we don't need another meeting. Come on, man. Come on. But Jesus had compassion. Uh, his compassion overrode that, that need for boundaries. And there's times when, for us, our compassion has to override our boundaries. It has to override that. Sometimes there's needs and people with needs that come. And and even if you don't have the strength, even if you don't have the ability, even if you are absolutely running on empty, you care for them. And, And that's the moment where you see the miracle, isn't it? Isn't that so often the moment where you see God's miraculous provision in your life, when you, when you think you're absolutely done. Now, Jesus still got away. He still got his time away. We see that a little bit later in the stories. He still made space to withdraw. But when the need pressed, he, he, he let his own boundaries be, uh, be broken through by people with needs. And, and that's just being Jesus' uh, disciple. That's just being uh, somebody who's following Jesus. And so it says this, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, it's already getting late. So this is where we know that really he was with them, ministering to these people for a full day. It says, then send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Like the disciples are really tired now. Like they're really whooped, they're exhausted. Like they've had the, the nth revival meeting, like all day revival meeting when they're done. And I mean, I know what that's like, right? I was pastor at Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship where we had uh, revival and renewal meetings every night except Monday, every single night of the week. Richard was there. He knows what the pace was like. Uh, it, it was insane. It was insane. The, the pace that they had you guys operating at in the school of ministry uh, was insane in terms of the volunteer work these guys were doing, uh, the learning that they were doing, the amount they were serving in the meetings. Richard poured his life out, poured his heart out in that space. And Richard, weren't there moments when you were just done like dinner? <laughs> done like dinner. And this is where the disciples are at. Done like dinner. And uh, so send the people away so they can go and get some food. And, and Jesus replies, he just says, he says uh, they do not need to go away, you give them something to eat. You jerk! I think the disciples were angry, probably. If we understand the context, they were probably really cranky with Jesus. Like, come on, like, 
what do you mean? What are you talking about? Us giving them something? We didn't bring anything. If we look actually at this in Mark, it says that they did the calculations in their head. It's going to talk, cost a whole half a year's wages to feed all those people if they collected money from their purse and sent away and tried to organize it. And hey, you didn't tell us that we needed to call a catering service. We're not, we're not ready for this. The volunteers are tired. They're worn out. Like, like everybody's done. Like we've got to plan these things a couple months in advance. Jesus, give us notice. Put it in Planning Center online and everybody will click the green button. Uh, the organizers will all be ready. Everybody will reply to the emails. And when we see that we have the event all stacked and racked with everybody approved and ready to go for that event, then we'll go ahead and do it because that's the way our church operates, Jesus. So uh, I'm sorry you didn't follow the proper procedures. Uh, but, uh, but Jesus says, you, you give them something to eat. And, and they were like, you know what they wanted to say? They, they just wanted to say, no. No, uh No, uh Not doing it. Uh-uh. Not going to happen. And, uh, but they came to him with this. They said, we have here only five loaves of bread and two little fishes. They brought them the balance sheet. Right? But Jesus, the numbers really just are showing here that uh, we just don't have the resources to accomplish this ministry at this time. Uh, we're sorry to inform you. And, uh, and Jesus says, says, bring them here to me. And they're like, whoa, whoa, what do you mean bring them to you, Jesus? What are you talking about? What do you mean bring them, bring them to me? Like, like they're just two loaves and fishes, Jesus. What's the point? And Jesus turns around. He, he says, hey, everybody, sit down on the grass. We're going we're gonna to feed you. Just relax. We've got the food over here. Have a good time. Just chat amongst yourselves. We're going to bring the feed right, food right over. And the disciples are like, your teleprompter doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It's not in your notes. That's not in the program, Jesus. What are you talking about? That's not what we arranged, Jesus. And, and, and Jesus calls their bluff in public. He throws the sword out into the field and says, the disciples are going to do this. And so he takes the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gives thanks and he breaks the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. Isn't that the shortest summary of an incredible, miraculous moment that you've ever read in your life? Here, guys, there's 12 of you, so I'm going to divide up these fish and these loaves amongst the 12 of you. Now, you go divide them up around those 10,000 people. What was that like for the disciples as they wandered? I'm going to break off this piece of bread. What, what was that like? Did, did, did it materialize like Star Trek fashion, beam me up, Scotty, in their hand like another loaf? Like it, it just appeared there? Like how did that happen? Like how did that work? What was that moment of that miraculous multiplication like? How did it happen? I don't know what that was like. I would have liked to see that. I would like to see just a little more here than the disciples gave them to the people. I'd like to see maybe something like a magic trick where they cover it over with a cloth and poof, it's back or something like that. Wouldn't that be handy? Like, like how did that happen? How did that work? I don't know. Like, an incredible miracle. And then, and then, then just this nice little line here, it says, and, and, and they all were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over, so they did the accounting on that one too. Let's do the math here, Jesus. Like, what just happened? 
and they're freaking out. They're freaking out. The number of those who ate was 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, here's what I want us to see in the text that is, is, is what's really important. If you want to be a person who's in the middle of the miracle, if you want to be the person who sees the big adventure, who doesn't miss those greatest moments of your life, and we see this in the text, it says this, it says, bring them here to me. So Jesus has the guys with the loaves and fishes, and he says, uh, bring those fish to me. And then it says, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. That's what we see in our English text, right? That's what we see in our English text. Uh, In the Greek, it doesn't read quite like that. It's the only way it really makes sense in the English, unless you think about it in in, in a different way. And I'm not, honestly, I'm not a Greek expert. So I I can't say that I'm 100% right on this, but this is how it reads in the Greek. Bring them here to me. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples to the people. That's how it reads literally in the Greek. And this is the same in all three uh, places where the story uh, shows up in the Gospels. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples to the people. Bring them here to me. He gave them to the disciples and the disciples to the people. Jesus will take your life and he will take that little thing that you have. Like, like th- this, this, is, this is the beauty in it, right? Like, we so often want to start the journey that God has for us. We so often want to start a ministry with a, with a full bucket of resource, right? We want to start with it already. Jesus, I'm going to follow you in that ministry. I'm going to do evangelism once I've had a little bit more training. I've gone to school. I'm going to listen to some podcasts. I'm going to brush up on apologetics, and then I'm going to tell my friend about Jesus. Right? When I'm ready, when I've got it ready. Uh, Jesus, uh, I'm, I'm just a teenager. Uh, I don't have much experience. I, I, I'm really young. Like, that's something that adults are really into. But, but I'm just a teenager. I, I just gotta, I'm going to get through university, and then, and then I'm going to maybe be able to do that. I, I don't know anything. I don't know how to speak. I, I hardly know the Bible. Uh, look, I'm older. I don't have many years left. I've served God for a long time. I, I, I don't have any, any, anything left to give. I give. I'm tired. I, I, I'm weary. I have two kids, and my wife and I each have a career. We're so busy. There's no time uh, for me to give to you, Jesus. There's, there's, just, there's just nothing there. I have an illness. I have a disability. I'm sick. I have grief. I, I, do, you know, do you know, Jesus, how hard it is to cope with that? I've been hurt by the church. I hardly even like the church. I don't want to do this want to do this thing. I, I only really love the church just a tiny little bit. I, I don't I want to serve. What Jesus says here first to us is take what you have and bring it here to me. Take what you have, whatever it is, however small it is. He doesn't say that you have to have it together. He doesn't say that you have to have it right. He doesn't have to say that you have to have a degree in theology to lead a home church. He doesn't say that you have to be the most mature person in the planet to get up here and and teach or to lead worship. He said, just take that little thing that you have, whatever it is, take that little thing and give it to me and just watch what I can do with it. And so this is what Jesus does, is he takes that little thing, whatever it is that we have to give to him, and we just give it to Jesus. Jesus, you, you have this little thing. And then Jesus blesses it. Right? That's what he did in the story. Jesus has blessed this little gift of loaves and fishes. And then he gave it back to the disciples. And that's what God does with your little talent, your little gift, your, your little bit that you think you have to give to him, is he, he gives it back to you, And then he gives you 
to the people. He takes a little bit in you that he's blessed and he gives all of you to the people. And that's what being a disciple is. Being someone given by God to people in need. Someone given by God with whatever little piece of you that he's blessed, with whatever piece of you that he has, and he just takes you and gives all of you away. He gives you to the people, and you feed the people. Feeling weak, and feeling inadequate, and feeling broken, and feeling tired, and whatever it else, else it is that you feel. He blesses it, he gives it back to you, and he gives you to the mission. And that is how we grow. We find that sooner or later, when that's happened enough times, that there's a bigger piece inside of us that is fixed and whole and blessed. And a bigger side of us that is fixed and whole and blessed. And and as he continually uses us, giving that little piece of ourselves to him, and him constantly enlarging our ability to love and to serve and to care for people through experience after experience where it feels like he shoves us over the edge when we have absolutely nothing left. All of a sudden we find ourselves 30, 40, 50, 60 years at the end of our lives in the place uh, where the disciples were with a radical commitment to Jesus. Like these disciples who, who experienced this ended their lives, like I said earlier, burned at the stake, crucified upside down. Like that's commitment. That's commitment. That's mission. That's following Jesus. And all along the way, if you look at the stories of these, these incredible disciples talk about the adventures that they didn't miss. Talk about the adventures that they didn't miss, the things that they saw. So that's the call on us as people, is to just sit here uh, in a moment, and I'm just going to give us a moment of silence, and, and I'm just going to ask you to just pray, and, and say, what is this little thing in me that I can give to Jesus that I've never given before? to let him do something amazing with it. For some of you, it may be your heart. Some of you may be here and you may be a non-Christian, a non-believer. You've never trusted Jesus with your life before. That's kind of a big thing to give to him. That's kind of jumping in the deep end of the pool. If that's you, that's, that's what you're called to give. Maybe it's a, a, an area that you want to serve that you've never served before. Maybe it's a, a gift musically that you've never exercised. Maybe it's, a, it's resources that you have saved for your future that God's calling you to give into mission. Maybe it, it's some little, who knows what it is. It could be any little thing. It could be any little thing. But what is it that you do have that Jesus might want to multiply? Let's bow our heads and listen. We take this moment, Jesus, to withdraw into your presence. We want to hear you. We want to hear you. Would you speak to your kids? All around the room, Jesus, would you give uh, little words of knowledge, words of encouragement, whisperings of your voice. whisperings of your voice. Show us what we have that we can give to you.
Father, we let you overrun our boundaries. We let you show us that thing inside of us that we've hoarded and kept and protected like it's the last thing we'll ever have. And we, we pick it out of our hearts and we raise our hands to you and, and we lift it up and we, we see that it's not enough. But you see that it's enough. We, we give it to you, Jesus. We give it to you, Jesus. We give it to you, Jesus. Would you set us free from all of our escapisms, all of our addictions, all of the things that we do that we think are withdrawing into your presence? And would you carve out space in our lives to uh, really find you and to have these moments? Would you take our, our, ourselves, our lives, with this little gift that you've blessed, and you bless it, Father, would every person here feel that the gift that they have inside of them is a gift from you, that it's blessed by you, that you love it like they do, that you cherish it like they do. And then as you give it back to them so that it's in the realm of their choice still whether or not to use it, Would you give us as people, us as a church, to the community in need? Give us away, Jesus, with our blessed little gift. And let us have the adventure of our lives, God. Release evangelism in this place. Release the prophetic. uh, Release miracles of healing. Release miracles of generosity. Would the 5,000, 10,000, 20,000 people outside this building right now feel the impact of this moment? We pray all this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.